And before you have a seat, if you will join me in the recitation of the Shema, these are words that we follow Jesus in declaring before we hear the scripture. They're words that Jesus would have said every morning when he woke, every evening before he went to sleep, and several other times throughout the day, including any time the scripture was about to be read. So I'll say the first part in Hebrew, and you say it back, and then we'll say the English part together. Shema Israel, Adonai Lehenu. Adonai Ahat. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. Lazarus, come out. Take off the grave clothes. Most of us can probably hear those words and call to mind a strange story about a man being raised from the grave. In fact, we probably don't even need to hear those words in order to bring the story to mind. We probably just need to hear the name, Lazarus. I had a roommate in college that took the same Spanish course as me, and this particular roommate had a hard time actually showing up to class. And after missing several weeks, he finally showed up to class one day, late, and our professor stopped teaching, looked at my roommate, and then said something in Spanish that made everyone laugh. I have no idea what he said, but I did catch one word, Lazarus. And then I knew he was comparing my roommate to a dead man coming back from the grave. I knew the name... But to be honest, I didn't know the story all that well. I knew Lazarus was dead and buried and that Jesus called him out of the grave, but that's about it. I mean, that in and of itself is pretty fantastic. I figured that was the point of the story, that Jesus can do miracles, including raising people from the dead. Except that if that's the point of this story, it sure raises some troubling questions. Questions like, why did Jesus only raise Lazarus from the grave? Were there no other people that Jesus cared about who died during his time on earth? Why not his dad? Why didn't didn't Jesus raise Joseph from the grave? Or if you're Lazarus, or even the family of Lazarus, who has already had to suffer the pain and loss of death, is this really a blessing? to be brought back to life so that you can do it all again? I'm beginning to wonder if there's more to this story than I had originally thought when I just heard the name. So let's listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the library that we love. And I know we normally stand, but I'm telling you this is a long one. So I want you to be comfortable. We'll stand in our spirits. From the 11th chapter of John's Gospel. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Though Jesus loved Martha and Mary, And Lazarus, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was after having heard that Lazarus was ill. Then he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. 
The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Judean religious authorities tried to kill you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may have faith. Let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Judean religious establishment had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who trust in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and trusts in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The mourners who were in her house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and run out. And they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the mourners who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the mourners said, see how he loved him. But the others among them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may know that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, 
his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. I know that was a long story, but hearing it really helps. Something amazing does happen in that story. A man is raised from the dead. That is miraculous. There is no question about it. And in spite of this amazing miracle, I can't help but notice that most of the story is not about the miracle. The miracle, the sign, only comes at the very end. There are 44 verses in this story. Only the last two talk about the miracle that Jesus performed. Of the 813 words used to tell this story in English, only 45 are about Lazarus being raised from the dead, and they're the last 45. And don't get me wrong, the miracle is important. It's amazing, but it sure doesn't seem to be the point of the story. If it is, then why does John spend so much of his storytelling energy elsewhere? The story opens briefly with the talk of Lazarus dying and then ends briefly with Lazarus no longer being dead, but there is so much more going on here. Much of this story seems to be about Jesus interacting with different people as the Lazarus situation plays out. John seems to focus most of his storytelling energy on giving his audience eavesdropping privileges on all the conversations that Jesus has along the way to the tomb. And then, toward the, end of the, toward the end of the story, just before Lazarus is raised from the grave, there's an incredibly strange scene. This story that should be about triumph and celebration and resurrection and life actually ends with Jesus crying and upset. Now, to me, that seems out of place. I wonder if that's the point for the out-of-place bits to draw our attention. But before we wrestle that, let's use our eavesdropping privileges that John has given us to listen in on the conversations that Jesus has along the way to the tomb of Lazarus. Let's start with the disciples. The first scene into which we are invited is between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus receives the message that Lazarus is sick and then waits for two days, like you do, And then tells the disciples that they're all heading to see Lazarus in Judea. Now, a brief side note here in case, like me, you find it strange that Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and then decides to wait a couple of days. First century Jewish tradition held that once someone died, their soul hovered around their body for three days, hoping to re-enter. Accordingly, on the fourth day, Burial preparations were finalized and tombs were sealed because resuscitation was no longer possible. The deceased were really dead. Jesus seems to wait on purpose to make sure that Lazarus is officially dead, according to religious tradition. But when the disciples hear that Jesus wants to go back to Judea for Lazarus, they do not think that's a good idea. What we see in their interaction and hear in their dialogue is that the disciples, not surprisingly, see Jesus as their rabbi. They literally call him rabbi. 
which is the Hebrew word for teacher. These disciples want to protect their rabbi. They know that the religious authorities of Judea see Jesus as a threat, so they conclude that going back to Judea is just asking for trouble, which is a perfectly logical conclusion. They argue, but their rabbi will not be swayed. Even when they give in and Thomas states, let us also go that we may die with him, they are still behaving like dedicated students committed to following a trusted teacher. If we can't stop our rabbi from going to Judea, then we better go with him. The disciples' conversation, their perceptions, their behavior, their conclusions were all pretty logical in dealing with Jesus as a rabbi. The next conversation that unfolds is between Jesus and Martha, one of the sisters of Lazarus. As Jesus and the disciples draw near to Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters lived, Martha goes out to Jesus and she doesn't waste time with small talk. Martha opens with, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now at first blush, this sounds like Martha sees Jesus as a healer, someone who could have prevented sickness from taking Lazarus. But as Martha and Jesus continue to talk and we continue to eavesdrop, there seems to be more going on. Martha begins talking about what she believes. She says that she believes that God will give Jesus anything for which he asks. So Jesus assures her that her brother will rise again. Now that's a pretty incredible thing to say. I think if someone said that to me, I'd be surprised. I might have a few questions, but not Martha. She doesn't have any questions, and she doesn't seem surprised. Martha responds to this blatant statement of the miraculous by talking more about what she believes. Another commonly held belief of first century Judaism was that all of God's people would be resurrected into a new heaven and earth at the end of days. So when Jesus tells Martha that her brother will rise again, she essentially responds by saying, I know. I believe that. I believe that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end time. Jesus, seeming to try to push past Martha's beliefs, says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, we can give Martha a pass for not really paying attention the first time Jesus says her brother will rise again. After all, she is grieving, and sometimes in our grief, what we believe can seem like all we have left. But this, this is a mic drop moment. This is the moment when the needle scratches off the record and everything stops and focuses in. I am the resurrection and the life. This statement demands Martha's attention. It demands my attention. It demands a response. This is not a statement to move past or ignore. This is Jesus saying, resurrection and life are not things I'll do later in the end times. They are right here, right now. In fact, resurrection and life are not things that I do at all. It's not something I do, it's who I am. 
Jesus essentially says to Martha, you keep telling me that you believe, but here I am. Can you believe that? The culmination of Martha's faith, all her religion, all her doctrine, all her prayers for her brother's healing is standing right in front of her. But Martha's jaw does not drop. She does not fall at the feet of the Christ in worship. She doesn't even ask Jesus to share a little bit of that resurrection and life that he says he is with her brother. Martha's response, just as before, is, I know. I believe you are the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Really? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. It seems like Martha's beliefs don't have room for the resurrection and life that is standing right in front of her. It seems like she can't see the forest for the trees as though she prefers the comfort of what she believes to the wonder of the Christ. Martha's perceptions and conclusions about Jesus were set long before he showed up. So she leaves to go tell Mary that Jesus has arrived. Mary hears of Jesus' presence and runs to him. She falls at his feet and opens with the same words her sister used to confront Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we may be tempted to think that because the two conversations begin with the same words, that the sisters see Jesus in the same way, but I'm not sure that's the case. Martha meets Jesus with her beliefs. She makes statements of sound theology and commonly held religious doctrine. Mary, on the other hand, runs to Jesus and collapses at his feet in tears and complaint. This does not seem to be a detached theological discussion for Mary. Why weren't you here? Why didn't you show up? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. This conversation is between two friends, one of whom feels betrayed. It's as if Mary collapses at the feet of Jesus crying, I thought you loved us. Where were you when we needed you? You're supposed to care about us. You're supposed to be our friend. Why didn't you stop this? Mary's conversation with Jesus is personal. Jesus is not just a rabbi who needs protection and a healer who arrived too late. He's not just a piece of her religious puzzle. Jesus is her friend. But Mary's not alone. When she runs to Jesus, she is followed from her home by all the mourners who had gathered around her family, pious Judeans, the religious elite, the scriptural authorities who knew that comforting the bereaved was their religious and righteous duty. And as they watch Mary and Jesus interact, another conversation unfolds. The mourners around Mary ask each other, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? These people recognize Jesus as a miracle maker, a sign giver, 
He's given signs before. He's done other miracles. Why not now? Why didn't he prove himself when Lazarus was sick? This crowd whispers, if he is who he says he is, why didn't he prove it? And now after all that, all those conversations, we have finally arrived at the tomb of Lazarus. Remember that strange scene that I mentioned, the one that seemed out of place, the one where instead of celebrating the coming triumph of a dead person who's raised from the grave, Jesus cries? We're there. The scripture tells us that Jesus weeps. Our standard English translation set this up by saying that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, which sounds very dignified and proper and polite, but I have to tell you that translation doesn't hold up. The scene at the tomb is anything but proper and polite. The Greek words that are so poorly translated there as deeply moved in spirit and troubled are accurately better translated as angry, indignant, and agitated. Jesus doesn't respond to all these conversations, all these people, by quietly weeping. He doesn't ask for a moment so that he can take a knee, brush back his tears, and regain his composure. This is messy and ugly and angry and loud. His disciples, following their rabbi, thought that the resurrection and the life needed their protection. Martha, scolding the tardy healer, evades the present power of the word made flesh behind the safety of a statement of belief. Mary, collapsed and crying, believes that the good shepherd has failed her. The mourners, looking on from the sidelines, wanted the light of the world to give them a sign. They needed some proof. They're all there, and they've all missed it. In anger and indignation, Jesus cries, where have you laid him? Take away the stone. Come out. Take off the grave clothes. I see this story a little differently now. I think I see it more in the daylight. I can close my eyes and see these scenes, not only here in this story, but in my life, where I have stumbled in the darkness. I know what it's like to see Jesus as my rabbi, my teacher, who needs my help, who needs, who needs me to protect him. I can look back and recognize too many times when I have missed the Christ right in front of me simply because I refuse to consider or imagine that there could be something more. I, too, have collapsed in despair at Jesus' feet when he didn't show up the way that I wanted him to or when I wanted him to. And I have sat on the sidelines. Boy, have I sat on the sidelines, waiting and watching in judgment, demanding a sign. Rabbi, healer, anointed one, friend, Miracle maker. All of these ideas about the Christ 
are righteous and holy and honoring. They're not wrong. They're just incomplete. They're too small. They're tombs. They're tombs in which I stumble around in the darkness far too often. And there's no life in a tomb. So Jesus weeps. You know, there's one more conversation in this story, albeit a one-sided conversation, between Jesus and a dead person. And in that listening stillness, the dead one is awakened and called out of the tomb. Maybe that's what it takes, a death. Maybe something has to die in me in order for something new to have life. Maybe I can't consider life outside the tomb until I recognize that I'm in one. Maybe Thomas had this figured out from the start when he said, come, let us also go that we may die with him. If that's true, then in the name of the resurrection and the life, let me also go that I might die with him.